And welcome to the Action Shooting Show. Uh, tonight we're going to do our Legion kind of after action. Um, we have some new people here, so I think any most people watching this know me and Mike Ford. Um, we also have Paul Klopfer and uh, John Stoner. Uh, Paul, you want to give a little background on yourself, whatever you feel like kind of sharing? Yeah, sure. No big deal. I, uh, I just got out of fifth group, um, retired after about nine years, decided to see what else is out there. I'm not, you know, the biggest badass in fifth group, but uh, I learned from the best. We got a lot of good friends, a lot of good knowledge and years and years of lessons learned the hard way. Um, and then started doing competitions and specifically running gun in the last two years. And it's, uh, uh, it's really refined my craft. I've taken lessons learned from both sides and kind of applied them. And uh, I think it's fun as fuck. So uh, you can't beat that combination. Absolutely. And uh, John, you want to share a little, little about yourself? Sure. Uh, for me, gun started out when I was six. Uh, my dad was in Vietnam, so he taught me shooting his way. Um, I came up in that way and uh, did the Eagle Scout stuff, uh, culminating into Eagle. And I was getting into competitive shooting. Uh, small local matches, two gun, three gun. Didn't really like shotgun. They're more for, you know, hinges and birds. And kind of switched into the uh, multi-gun format for running gun. So centerfire biathlon. Uh, my first match was the end of May, started June 2020 at Arkansas WTF biathlon. Um, I think I've been to probably about 15 of them now. Rough count. And uh, basically, I just like competing. I've tried a couple of different venues. Uh, wasn't really a big fan of some of the others, and running gun kind of stuck for me. And I basically uh, like self-improvement and learn where I can and keep on growing. Well, that's great, yeah. I mean, that's why we're all here, and um, so we'll, we'll get this started. Um, first off, so Legion, we've done an after-action on this before, last year's match. Um for the kind of the background of the history of it, um, this is actually like a special, um, like a fundraiser for the uh, Special Forces, the fifth group. And it's the, uh, Mike, can you help me with the exact organization they donate to? I should have wrote this down. The Special Forces Association, Chapter 38, I believe. Okay. And um, so the whole thing, I guess, and Mike can kind of correct me if I'm wrong, but some fifth group guys start talking to Matt. Matt had been running running guns at um, Rock Castle for a couple years and said they wanted to do a running gun. Uh, for those that don't know Matt Stennett, he's a great match director. He is one of the most organized match directors. He's an engineer, so everything in that match is on a spreadsheet, is on a uh, – you know, it's all planned out. I mean, he's he's really good at that. So he started working with these guys and tried to take their ideas and put it into a match format. Um, all the stages are based off of um, fallen uh, fifth group guys. So they take the story of what happened and they try to make that into a um, stage. Uh, I'll say it's kind of an emotional match. Um I, I've not served, but, um, you know, having friends and just especially now in the running gun community, run into so many of them. And, you know, you just I don't know. It's a very emotional match. I mean, this year we actually ran with dog tags from fallen 
um, fifth group guys. So it's it's really neat what the match does. It's it's a little heavy at times, but uh, kind of taking that and putting it to a game format is is kind of an interesting stage design. So and there's some quirks to that. For instance, uh, if there's paper in the match, if it is pistol, you shoot it five times. And if it's rifle, you shoot it three times. From what I understand, when they first started planning this, Matt kind of said, okay, well, when you guys go in and you guys got to like, like shoot a bad guy, what, uh, like how many shots does it take? And they're just like, ah, we just shoot them until they stop moving, you know? And, uh, which is, which is a good answer, but hard to put into a gaming format. So, you know, Matt said, well, give, give me an average. And it was five for pistol, three for rifle. And so kind of since then, that's that's what happens. So that's, you know, if there's paper, sometimes even on steel, you're doing, you know, three shots with rifle and five shots with pistol. So um, this whole match is kind of based around that. Um, I don't know that I'd say it's like a military. It's it's I mean, I guess it's as LARPing as any uh, run and gun can be. But uh, that's that's definitely what what you're getting. Uh, Paul, you got anything to add to that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as far as it being LARPing, I think if you're effectively running through the woods and moving and then maintaining your weapons and then using them in a adrenalized state, it's pretty far from LARPing. So I like to break down that barrier pretty quick when I talk to people, because some people will look at competition and have a weird attitude, but I think that's silly. I mean, at the end of the day, every gunfight's a competition. You know, it's just a matter of how many participants there are. So um yeah the sfa and chapter 38 have been involved ever since uh there's actually a couple of fifth group officers who uh had kind of brainchild the idea for the run and gun trevor saunders and trevor graves so officers have good ideas every now and then <laughs> but now nah, these are these are really good dudes and uh they they did something that brought the community together helped us memorialize things in a way that i think does the best justice to the dudes who passed because it's you know it's an event it's an action it's not it's not just solemn it's uh you know it's explosive so i mean really cool thing to do um yeah i'm not going to go too far i'll start getting soggy yeah thanks and uh john you want to add to that You're you're muted. Uh, for me, it's an opportunity for anybody from whatever walk of life to take whatever gear they have and shake it out. It's not about buying 20 grand worth of stuff. It's just running what you got and getting better with it. Kind of finding out that uh, when the buzzer goes beep and you're well rested and you just used a stroller to bring some guns to a stage is not the same thing as running a mile and getting there with your your BPM somewhere around 165 to 175 and then someone trying to explain a, a stage brief to you and what you're doing with a couple different things like maybe a radio and some mortars and then rifle and pistol in a certain order from different positions and then they ask if you're ready and you say yes but in your mind you're going no and then the buzzer goes off and everything blanks it's a whole different experience um, that's one of the reasons that I like it and it's because you can't just be good at one thing. Um, you got to be good at kind of everything, which to me kind of makes sense in the mind's eye of 
what this match is for Legion and honoring who it honors. And Mike, uh, why don't you fill in? And I kind of left off, kind of explain the terrain and um, the the general course to them, so people get an idea, Mike, what we're what we're do what what the 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 match looks like. All right, so the match takes place at Dead Zero. It is a fantastic shooting facility just south of Spencer, Tennessee. And I believe the property was uh, probably partially strip mined at some point. So you got some rolling hills, a lot of dense woods covers the property. And then some of their neighbors are extremely generous and open up their property for use just for this match. They see the value in it and, uh, and want to do their part to contribute as well. So you got those beautiful rolling hills, thick uh, uh, woods and, and brush to explore lots of streams that you're going to be crossing through the event. And it, it makes for a, a pretty good package overall as a running gun. You know, there's little spots where the guys that are real uh, fleet of foot running lightweight classes can pick up some speed and time. And then there's also a, a mixture of a uh, dense brush that it'll challenge the guys with the packs trying to work their way through and, and having a uh, wait a minute vine snag on the rucks and all sorts of stuff. So, uh, moving towards some of the new match opportunities there with some of the new night vision class and stuff, it'll be interesting to hear what those guys think of that facility under nods. Yeah, the, uh, the woods were absolutely miserable during some of that. And, and I say that in a great way. I've, I've said it on the show a bunch of times. One of my favorite things of running gun is that I just, I like going into the woods and not on trail, just like bushwhacking through whatever, going to places maybe no one's been there and who knows how long. You know, you just don't know because it's it's not a trail. So, um, but some of the woods were absolutely like just thick, and my arms were just shredded from those wait a minute vines or whatever they call them. Those things are evil. So, um, yeah, there was. Uh, I know the land nav part was particularly thick. Um, we'll get a little, we'll talk a little bit about that, but, um, actually we'll go into that now. Cause I, I want to talk about what, what has changed from last year to this year. And one of the big additions was they added a land nav section. So Matt said, easy land nav. You just have to shoot an azimuth, go a certain distance, you know, probably want to know your pace count and uh piece of cake, you know? So not great with land nav, but me and Mike, kind of went out and practiced up and um i don't know whose idea of easy that was but i i can shoot an azimuth and i can pick out a tree maybe 10 yards in front of me if i'm lucky because it was so thick at that part of the woods that you you couldn't you couldn't see very far you couldn't walk very far without having to go around things so even if you picked out a tree you'd like go around this one and i i don't know if anyone did pace count it seemed kind of useless to me i used a little handheld gps and uh my my garmin watch because kind of doubling up on it because it, it was just it was not easy <laughs> so not not in my book i mean i made it and i found it so i guess in that way it wasn't the hardest thing in the world but um the that was probably the thickest part of the woods he picked to to do that in um so that that was the big change uh matt said less water this year 
I guess because the 10K wasn't literally slogging through uh, a swamp or crawling through like drainage pipes. But besides for that, he still had us shooting stages in rivers and shooting stages in cow filthy cow ponds. I'm I'm pretty sure if you got cut, you were getting something from that. And I'd like to hear when it gets to it. I'd like to hear how John fit inside that pipe because someone had to have had a giant shoehorn to get him in and out of that thing. Because they, I don't know how big this thing. It was a metal pipe that you had to start the stage with, and I was tight in there. And I'm five ten. And for those not maybe watching the video or you can't tell in the video, uh, John's like seven foot or something like that. He's much <laughs> much taller than the average bear so it was uh yeah it was it, that was some new thing so uh uh paul i think is this your first time you've shot one of these no i started with last year's so i okay. i remember the drainage pipes we had to crawl through and uh the satan's butthole they had last year for the little uh wadi navigation portion yeah land nav wasn't a joke um you know it's Probably not the worst land nav I've ever had to do, but, you know, it was probably the worst I've had to do in Tennessee. So they, they definitely did a good job with that. Saw some lost souls out there looking pretty desperate as I was walking around. So, yeah. But I think most people, it was a good challenge for a lot of people to where it was a gut check or they made a mistake and they kind of appreciated it for that, you know, like you say, uh, that refiner's fire. So. What do you think? You think he went too hard on it? Uh, Legion's supposed to be hard, so I, I don't know that it was too hard, but he advertised it as easy. So uh, I don't know, John, what'd you think? I think it was definitely reverse bell. Um, if you didn't do the land nav portion, you turned around and ran through an open field that was a shorter distance than going on the land nav portion through. And I'll specify the land that portion was through the thick woods. Um, I took a general bearing and I reshot like every 20, 30 paces. And I counted it off right under 400 paces. And I landed within about 10 feet of the Mylar balloon, which is your goal. Um, and when you start the land nav, it tells you you got two numbers that are important. You're 21 degrees magnetic and 0.24 miles, which if you math it out, ends up pretty dang close to 400 meters, which is a nice round number. And I did do pace count, but I had a Garmin as a backup. Um, but this match is famous for Intel counter Intel to mislead people, which later on I'll explain how uh, one of the guys asked me for directions and I sent him in the very wrong direction. Um, on purpose and maybe a little bit of both. <laughs> But it definitely was not a benefit to the runner to do successfully land nav. I didn't really make any mistakes with it. I was pretty on course. And yeah, it was the right amount of difficulty for Legion. Yeah, Matt wanted to put in a tiger pit and some punji stick, but we had to talk him down. I think he was going to use his own feces on the punji sticks, too. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. You know the... Mike, you... Yeah. No. No, I was just going to say... I was going to say, if he would have done that... Go ahead. 
I was just going to say, if you would have done that, for sure, Jimmy Nutt would have shown up. Yeah. <laughs> I keep Did hearing you about Jimmy Nutt. To... He sounds like a legend. Uh, yeah, yeah, you... <laughs> He's a, he's a he's a marine, so that that should explain a little bit about him. Oh yeah, oh, marines, man. Sometimes you need holes put in stuff. <laughs> uh, the, the pipe stage was a simulating a downed helicopter. Um, uh, it was a unfortunate accident, but it took the lives of a, a major and a sergeant from fifth group, and. Uh, so yeah, it was it was it was a challenging place to uh, start off a shooting stage, but I think Matt did a great job having the stages uh, organized. They made sense. The rules were consistent. Um, I know I've done enough matches, even in my short tenure, to know that if they're not well planned, it's a source of frustration. It doesn't add anything to your training value. So Matt doesn't usually fall to that. He just makes it suck a little. <laughs> That is that is true, and Mike, I think you have the most legions of all of us here. So, um, yeah. what what um, I guess maybe what's different this year than previous years, or what's the same, or you know, we'll try to make all this brief. But what, what do you got to add to that? The evolution from Rock Castle to Dead Zero was definitely a big adjustment for a lot of the people that uh, were Rock Castle regulars. Um, we traded a lot of uh, steep terrain, a, a lot more elevation gain over the course, um, but it, we were able to pick up some more uh, uh, interesting long-range shooting opportunities, even though we lost shooting in the cave. So I think Matt's done a really good job of looking at what the different ranges and facilities uh, can provide and working with that. They've also done a really fantastic job of setting up the stages to try to really present the situation that the fifth group guys were going through in the time, uh, even dating back to, to OSS activities up through uh, Vietnam and the current war on terror. And I'm just saying this from a civilian perspective, uh, being able to step up there and then explain what you're doing. And then you learn about the, the soldier and, and what he was going through and, and the pressure he was under. Uh, I, I just think they get better and better at creating stages to represent the challenges those guys were facing, even though we will never truly understand it. They're getting better and better at conveying those things. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, like I said, Matt, Matt's a, he's been doing this a while and um, it shows and he, and he pays attention and he learns and um, he asks good questions. And he listens to the people around him, shooters, the guys in fifth group. So um, he's definitely a, a blessing to have as a match director because um, just coming from someone, I've shot other running guns. I've shot three gun. I've shot, you know, various things. And um, not all match directors are that receptive to to that kind of feedback, you know, it's easy to get in your own, your own world and do what you think is the, the right answer, whether it is or not. So, um, moving on real quick. Um, I kind of wanted to talk about the different divisions, um, lay that out and the different matches they had. So first division, if you're shooting this match is light fighter. So, Rifle, pistol, centerfire rifle, pistol, 223, 9 millimeter. 
and there's really no requirement. Run as light as you want. Run, I mean, run as heavy as you want. Just you, you don't have to have anything specific except the ammo you need to get through the guns and ammo you need to get through the match. Next up is operator, um, similar to light fighter, except that you needed rifle rated plates. Um, what does that mean? The manufacturer should say that it will stop a rifle, right? Rifle round. Um, they're not going to shoot you to test it. So those some of those people running, you know, the real light poly plates that someone says will stop a two two three. You're you're lucky because they're not going to test you out on that. But I know I did it last year with some heavy ass uh, level four like ceramic ones. But um, yeah, that's 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 it for that division. You're just you're just running some plates. And if you're a real man like Mike Ford and um, John Stoner as as well has done this. And I don't know if Paul's ever done that division, but tier one you run with. Is it thirty five or forty pounds? Four, 45? Yeah, you have to 45? finish. With okay. the, yeah, at the finish line, you have to have a ruck that weighs 45. And if okay, it weighs 44.5, welcome to operator division. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the worst match bump you could probably get. So 45 pounds. Um, with that, though, you can carry whatever the hell you want. Uh, in the past, guys have brought shotguns for stages. Um I know a couple years ago, I don't know if he used it on stage, George carried an Uzi with a bunch of extra ammo just because if you have an Uzi and you need weight, I don't know why you wouldn't bring an Uzi. I think that's a pretty fair fair choice. So, um, yeah, carried that's the... Gun last year, I got to take one shot with it. So I dragged two <laughs> and all the draws for one reason. I asked Matt if I could take a uh, grenade launcher this year, and he said it was outside the scope of the... Uh, the match so maybe that is disappointing grenade launcher stage i, I don't know I've that's not hard maybe to me i've i've thought about just bringing those like civilian uh like the airsoft smoke grenades just to pop smoke on a stage sometime just for the just for the hell of it <laughs> like, they got all their pyrotechnics yeah. I, yeah that's the thing that worries me is that there's a lot of grass out there that by that point in the year is pretty crispy so that's kind of what keeps me maybe maybe in one of the uh shooting bays it'd be safe to do but um yeah for those that haven't shot legion they'll have like machine gun simulators simulated mortars and different stuff like that that they like to use so i thought you know maybe just bringing in like popping my own smoke maybe a good uh good thing maybe i'll do that next year so be careful uh, they'll pop smoke and light you on fire in the right bays Yes, if you're curious about that, listen to Mike's our after action last year how Mike almost burnt to death. So, kept shooting, had a pretty good stage time anyway, so you know, pin it to win it, I guess. Um all right, so on to the matches. Um the first one Friday night and you guys will have to correct me. It's it was um Night Vision was the Friday night match, correct? Okay, so Friday night it was a 5K with night vision so all the people with their their cool night vision toys they went out and competed saturday morning to saturday afternoon you had the 5k um day match just the regular what they've done in the past saturday night you had white light um so night match but with just white light the whole time 
and um, those are for the pours. And then um, Sunday was the 10K, which if you're running during the day, the 10K is the one that you wanted. Me and Mike had to pick because we RO'd. The ROs, would on, they would only let you shoot either day or night. And we had our families down there and chose the uh, day matches because that um, worked best with us. I know Paul, he's here because he ran every single match the weekend because he's, he's a man. And John ran uh, the Envy and the um, the 10K. So we're going to start getting into these. Um, there's going to be a lot less of me and Mike talking, a lot more of these other guys, since they, they actually shot these matches. So, um, yeah, Paul, let's start with you. The 5K and the uh, night match. Maybe give us any uh, highlights to it that you really like, like favorite stages, just whatever you want to talk about it. Well, the 5K, I mean, I love running through a house, shooting stuff fast with pistol. That's always a good time. So that stage zero was good. I had pretty good runs on that one. Um, as far as night vision goes, you know, you have to have a weapon that's kind of dedicated for that setup. You know, you want to be able to passive aim through it. And you need a light that's got a lot of throw. Um, I was rocking Enforces um, before the match because... They're pretty rugged and they're easy to throw on a gun, but they they don't do much for you uh, beyond 50 to 100 meters. So we want some high octane stuff out there. I think the cloud defense would probably be decent, but I ended up going with a, a TLRX on my revised night setup. So, so yeah, but it was a blast though. Run through the woods at night. Those uh, terrible draws and you know, wait a minute, vines don't get any better when you can't see them. It helps if you have a uh, John Stoner-shaped hole to follow behind. So <laughs> call him the steamroller. <laughs> yeah, I, I was out like one of the first five on Friday for the RO day. So there was no holes anywhere. So I uh, I pulled a handful of the stuff out for you guys. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, did you have a appreciate that? Yeah, uh, John. What about you? Any highlights? Yeah, favorite stages? Anything that? Sorry. Yeah, I'll go from top down on night vision. So for anybody who hasn't played with night vision before, there's a couple different types of aiming. There's passive aiming and active aiming. Active aiming is when you're going to have a illuminator and a laser that you use that is at a a nanometer wavelength of light that the human eye can't see, but night vision can. So night vision works where it amplifies existing light, and you have a laser that the human eye can't see, but night vision can. That's active. Then you have passive, where you uh, use a night vision safe optic on a night vision brightness setting, where you can look through it with your nods that are helmet mounted and be able to see the reticle or the dot or the stadia and engage targets. So one of my favorite stages was actually stage two um, and i'll kind of explain the stages in order for anybody listening uh, the first stage like paul was saying is a cqb they had it set up with four by eight sheets or thereabouts maybe a little bit longer uh, with black um, plastic that forms up basically a house you enter under a wall that's fallen down so you have to crawl to get in there's good guy, good guys and bad guys the good guys have hands spray painted on them so you can identify them the bad guys are just a standard piece of cardboard you engage four bad guys, five shots each, which is the fifth group standard inside the house. And at the back of the house, there's an exit door 
Um, during the stage brief, it wasn't very clear to me. I saw a light down at the end with a couple targets by it. I asked the RO, uh, do I go down there or not? And he didn't really answer. So I sprinted my ass down there and engaged the targets at about probably 10 yards, blazing fast. Uh, steal three of them, five shots each, uh, which is a really enjoyable, um, really enjoyable stage. Highly recommend in those kind of scenarios to go active. You can be way faster at those kind of ranges without having to find your dot on your pistol. Stage two is definitely my favorite. So you take off from stage one, you go to stage two, and you follow down the roads that go through, go over a couple of bridges, and you come up to a beautiful right and left turn. You follow the course correctly, you go left. So I went right and got myself lost and headed off into the woods and then over the top of a open clearing. Fortunately, I'm a tall kind of human. And as I get to the end and go, this doesn't look right, break my old map out that I've taken and covered in plastic so I can use it for the course and go, yeah, I'm definitely not in the right place. As I start to loop around just a little bit, I see this glow off in the distance and uh, take my compass and it's about the right shot. It's the right direction. So then I take the long way around and refine the course. Don't know if I'm going the right way or the wrong way. There's a gentleman there that's nice enough to give me actual good intel and I start heading the correct direction on the course instead of the wrong direction and head on down the hill to stage two, which is my favorite. That has one of the machine gun simulators on it, about five feet from your head. You start out by getting off your wait time and walking across to a light. Well, in between you and the light, as you find out, is about a three foot deep stream about 20 feet across. So they get you nice and wet before you head in for the stage. You walk back over and get done getting wet. They give you the stage brief. There's an enemy machine gunner off in the woods. It's a metal piece of plate. You're going to shoot them. You're going to start in the prone position behind a set of logs. And it's a reenactment of a gentleman who did a lot of hard work to save some lives and got a medal of honor for it and also sacrificed his own life to make it happen. And what he did was using a pistol, took out a machine gun nest multiple times, advanced on it, went over to the... Uh, downed mortar pit where the crew had been wounded dropped a couple mortars and uh i believe light as well flare and then started engaging with rifle because he could now see his enemies and that's kind of what it goes through so at the logs you shoot five times on the steel move up to the next position five times on steel move to the next position five times on steel slowly safely holster over to the mortar tube the bottom of it's cut out take the mortar out drop it down three times when that's complete, you get behind the mortar tube, load your rifle and engage steel, then move up and engage again. And then uh, explain this better on later on, but there's a radio call for close air support. And that happened during the day. I don't think we had to do that at night. There's already enough going on. Now this is where it gets interesting. And the reason why I explained the passive versus active aiming or passive versus active aiming is because when you're engaging with the rifle, you are not allowed to use active aiming. You must shoot passive. So anybody who had experience with that and the gear to go with it was quite content with themselves on that stage. Anybody else was just kind of sending rounds until they were tired of burning time on the clock. Now, there's another wrinkle to introduce that I didn't explain earlier, but I will now. And this is a perfect time for it. If you didn't successfully engage even one of the targets on the stage during the night vision run, you received a DNF, which means did not finish. You get no score on the stage. The average DNF in the night vision rat, uh, run was one to two per person on a five-stage course. It was pretty challenging. 
So then moving through, you get done with that. And that hill that was very nice to come down, you're backtracking. So you're running up a hill. Now, in my mind's eye, I had been lost and probably traveled an extra 17 miles. So now I'm hoofing it about as fast as I can go. I have no, I, I looked at my watch later and I think I was averaging between 180 and 190 beats per minute. So very calm, you know, power walk, no big deal, right? <laughs> head back up the path, hang a left into the woods and you're heading off to stage three. Uh, stage three is where you start off. There is a dummy on the ground. My memory recalls right. Let's see. Actually, I have notes, so I'll read out to you. You shoot the rifle seven times and the handgun ten times. That's how many rounds if you're perfect. Start with one round in the rifle with an empty magazine well. There's two cardboard ipsics roughly 10, 12 yards ahead of you. You're required to hit the A center of these targets. So from the inside out, it's A, then C, then D. You hit them in the C and D, you got a miss. You got a miss, you got a DNF. So they're kind enough to hit you with one target, one shot with the rifle in the A zone, transition, rifle down to sling, pistol out, and engage five shots in the A zone of the next cardboard target next to it. If you're not confident that you got that hit with the rifle, use your pistol to re-engage the rifle target until you feel comfortable that you've engaged the A zone on both targets. Now, unfortunately, one rifle on that stage is worth five pistols. So if you go back to make it up, you got to shoot it five times. At that point, you move over. Let's see. Yeah, you holster your pistol. You drag your dummy to safety over behind cover. Load your rifle and hit three steel targets at 100 yards. Three hit steel targets. I'm not sure about the round count, but there was a couple of steel targets you hit at that distance. Then you go to sling, transition to pistol, and you hit five hits on steel 45 yards away, roughly about a half or two-thirds zip six size target. That was pretty challenging. It's different during the day, but at night, it was uh, found it to be faster to engage the longer distance rifle targets uh, passively just to be able to get those hits quickly and move on. And when you're all done, you unload, show clear, and move on to the next. Stage four, you start in the back of a pickup truck. There's two cardboard targets with shirts and plastic over them, probably about five to seven yards away. In the pickup truck, you engage with your pistol, five shots each. Then you holster your pistol and get out, and there's three positions you're going to shoot from. Now, at the beginning of the match, you get some intel and the option to carry a radio. I won't release the frequency, but you put your radio on a frequency, and you may overhear some intel on the way, where you're told that on stage four, which is the stage I'm about to shoot, there's an HVT target with two white targets on either side of it, possibly bodyguards or whatever else. You must engage the HVT target. It doesn't explain why you're supposed to do it. So when they give you the stage brief, and I kind of got ahead of myself, they give you the stage brief before you start shooting. They do not tell you this target is there. It's off to the right-hand side. It's up to you to know and listen to the intel from the radio to do it. So back to shooting the stage. You finish engaging pistol, get out of the bed of this truck, and go down to a prone position shooting underneath a barricade wall through a hole that's probably about 10 inch by 10 inch. Engage three steel targets, one hit each. Rifle on safe in the safe direction. Get up, move to the next. Kneeling. At a 55-gallon drum that's made out of plastic, you engage the same three targets. And then finally standing, you move to the next barricade, which is a 55-gallon drum, plastic, and engage the three targets. At some point during those firing arrays, if you engage the HVT, it removes 30 seconds from your range time, which is a lot. I believe on that stage, I successfully engaged it in night vision. 
not during the 10K, big whoops. But I ended up probably with, after the bonus, probably like 27 seconds. I think I did it uh, just under 60 seconds for that stage. And uh, you take off from that stage, head up the road. Now, I haven't mentioned it each time, but every time you come to a stage or leave a stage, the RO is checking your rifle for clear. If you have a magazine in or around in the chamber, your match is done and you walk back. So this has happened each time. That's up to you how you keep your pistol. I usually top it off, keep it hot, and uh, I use a Safari Land holster to make sure it doesn't fall out. Because if you drop a loaded pistol anywhere on the course, it's you're done. Walk back. So this is where we head into the F. Matt Stennett Woods. It's my group ended up calling him. And uh, LS Dom did us all a favor. Very kind of them. The markers for the path through this woods were anywhere from five to ten feet to the right or left of the actual path where the Wayne Independent Vines had been cleared. So if you follow these lights, you're actually zigzagging from light to light where the path is actually straight. You're crossing over the path, and once in a while you get a clear space. So uh, spend some time in those, those woods. <laughs> And uh, you get out of those woods and you head over. Now you're kind of in an open clear area. You're running through some open fields with some grass that's anywhere from one to three feet tall and some minor run paths through them, but really no lights. So every time you come up and you go down a hill and come up a hill and then you crest a hill, there might be like a tree in the clearing up ahead, maybe 50 or 100 yards with one light in it. And to explain that, uh, these lights are not like candy all over the place. There's quite a few places where the next light is anywhere from 10 to 30 meters ahead. And you kind of got to look and search around a little bit or hope you're going in the right direction to find another light soon. You get kind of meet back with the course where uh, I took a right instead of taking the left. It ended up being the second stage from 2020 where we shot the thrum targets around the walls. It could have been 2021. Either way, you go through there, you go through the woods, you go back over the bridges and you head up to Stage five, the long range, where they give you the stage brief. You start with an empty rifle. You run up a probably 30-foot tall embankment, maybe, pretty steep. The top of it is a sniper's hide. You're not supposed to shoot from inside. You shoot over the top. There's two targets at 100 yards on the right-hand side and one target standing all by its lonesome on the left-hand side. Fortunately for us as shooters, and this is the one that uh, everybody but three people DNF'd, it's been painted white so you can see it easier unless you put a white target against a tan hill and then it just disappears. So the course of fire on this is two hits per steel, moving right to left or left to right for two arrays. So you have to hit them in order. So if you don't hit a target, say for instance, the one that's camouflaged into the tan hill, you don't get to shoot the other targets, you get a DNF. And very many, uh, many competitors on that one were not able to hit it successfully. And I'll be honest, the way that I was able to complete it was because I did uh, recon by fire. There was a light at the base of it. I took and got my windage based on that, went up what I thought was two or three feet, shot until I got metal hits and finished the array. Thought I did very poorly on it, figured I threw the match completely, ended up like around 90 seconds and uh, ended up taking first in that stage. You get done there and you head up to the finish line and then uh, that's pretty much it. Let me check your guns, make sure you're clear and your, your match is done. And that's kind of the, the night vision in order. Um, reading back, there was quite a few people that posted their GPS navigation course in one of the running gun discussion groups on Facebook. 
and a few of them looked a bit like a tornado, just kind of circles. And not in the area they were supposed to be. <laughs> Fortunately, they found their way back. And we didn't have to go tromping through the woods for anybody. But uh, I got to say that 4.6 miles for a 5K under night's vision was pretty challenging. And to be honest, I wouldn't change any of it. Some people were complaining, but I think it's perfect. So Yeah, we don't, we don't call them spirals. We call it a serpentine. Keeps the serpentine. Yeah. <laughs> I like to think they were being tactical in the woods. Yeah, um, they were doing some seer stuff, escaping a V. That last stage, yeah, that was a challenge, brother. I didn't get that one. I tried to recon by fire, and, you know, I just never got a touch of steel. But it goes to show that, you know, if you have some basic knowledge and you can uh, adjust to your environment, you can really, you guys can, you can gain a lot, especially in the competition. That was, um, that stage was named after, or was made, designed after Kelly Hornbeck. Uh, he was a Texan who had served in South America. And he was famous because he would fly a Texan flag over that little base wherever they were deployed to. That way, if anyone was thought of thinking about getting froggy, they'd know that a Texan was there. Should probably uh, move on by. Yeah, the, we, me and Mike rode that the day, the five and ten k day stage there. That that was a lot of fun, and so I, I did a lot of standing underneath that flag. I I definitely enjoyed it, but that, like you're right, that hill was steep. And uh, we're lucky that most people got through it before the rain on Sunday, because once that rain dumped on Sunday, that face you guys were going up was an ice skating rink. It, it, <laughs> it was insane. It, it was bad. I had actually, on Friday and Saturday, or Saturday and Sunday, I had actually used a shovel we had out there and cut some steps on the uh, outside right for, for the ROs to get up and down so we weren't having to, like, run up this steep face every time. And uh, I started letting the uh, competitors after the rain use it because they'd get like five, ten feet up that hill and just slide right back down. I mean, it, it was it was awful. Um, <laughs> I stopped. I stopped even using the stairs were harder, were slower to go up after the rain than it was for the regular competitors when it was dry. I started taking the other face to get down. <laughs> so um, yeah, that I mean that sounds like a good time. I've not done a lot of night vision stuff i guess um and you guys can correct me i guess one real challenge with shooting with night vision is your your night vision has a set focal depth right like a depth of field so anything in front or behind that can be kind of i guess depth perception is kind of hard to generally hard to gauge right is that yeah that depending the on the depending on the kind of night vision you have I'm kind of curious to discuss that a little bit. Uh, Paul, were you running duels or a single? So I had built a, uh, a single 14 tube, kind of piece milled it together, uh, Johnny Cash style, one piece at a time. And uh, it uh, it would have done well for me because it's a decent 14. If you've ever used 14, it's about as clean as they get. Well, my buddy, uh, he came from group and he let me borrow his uh, 31s. So it basically, it was like daylight, yeah. Moving through the woods at night, I made pretty good time, and I had a kind of a, a messed up leg, but I, uh, yeah, I was still booking it. So it makes a big difference. And as far as depth and focal distance, uh, a big part of uh, passive aiming is knowing that um, if you have a single tube, especially, there's going to be a difference between the target you see through your left eye and then the reticle you see through your right eye or your dominant eye. So knowing those holes and offsets is crucial, even with the laser. 
it's a lot more noticeable up close, but you know, the laser's not perfectly aligned with the bore, so it's always a calculating, making man's game. Yeah, big time. And I'll speak a little more to that. So um, the model he's talking about is the PBS31A, which is an awesome unit um, and has two features that are really important. The ability to adjust uh, focal point and also the ability to adjust gain. Uh, were yours manual gain? Uh, I had it turned down pretty low, yeah. So with night vision, sometimes you think, you know, you're going to turn it up all the way and get the best use from it. But I found that if you turn down the gain uh to a modest degree it allows you to still maintain some of your natural peripheral vision and then it also doesn't fuzz out as bad so you know more isn't always better yeah agreed yeah if you max the gain out you get something called scintillation and it almost looks like a tube tv where you get all the fuzz in it the dots random sparkles it's actually electron strikes on the mcp um for everybody watching so you can understand um I'd like to speak to something else too. Talking about the focal point, what I usually do is I'll focus on the stars to infinity, and then I'll just deal with things up close being kind of fuzzy. So what that means is in my mind's eye, as I'm moving, running, I can see things clearly at probably about 10, 12 feet. But once it gets closer, I can't see clearly. It's fuzzy. I just kind of remember where objects and obstacles are, and as they get closer, I just kind of use that whole short-term memory to uh, fill it in. That way I'm not adjusting the close focal point while moving and then getting to a stage and adjusting the far focal point or forgetting to and then can't see your targets. So I'm a big fan of just taking and setting the infinite focal point and just kind of dealing with it. Um, how do you like to deal with that? No, that's the best way to do it. I like to use my face and shins to help me feel my way through the woods. Uh, it's like the, uh, the percussive method of land navigation. <laughs> yeah, it, which it, to clarify, they did land navigation out of the night vision portion yeah but yeah, was, you know we still had matt's little uh torture trail to go through there which is still fun um, yeah it was good i did that actually with the one of the gold star families because we uh we'd start during the day and ended up doing night so those crazy kids got to do a hybrid iteration um <laughs> and they were troopers it was tabitha and Devin uh from the farmer family uh Devin had never fired a pistol before that day, and he was he was doing really good. Uh, it was cool to see, and Tabitha's a warrior princess, so uh, she was there leading the charge. But it was dark in the woods, walking through Matt's little, you know, trail of terror with a couple of Gold Star family members behind me, and I was like, man, <laughs> I better not get lost. That'd be a bad look. But we had a really good time. Yeah, that, that percussive navigation works in the day, too. Even when you can see, you just kind of crash your way through that stuff if you're trying to trying to move quick. So we'll kind of move on. Um, Saturday, 5K, I think, Paul, oh, you're the only one that ran that. What? Uh, maybe just hit some highlights on that, if there's anything special. That was the run that I did with the, the Gold Star kids. So uh, it was fun. Uh, I honestly... Uh, the reason I kept running, I kept doing the different races was because it was such a good match and such good stages that there was always something more to learn from it. So you take a little bit of abuse, but it's worth it to get some more training iterations in. Um, but for that one, the focus wasn't on me. It was on these guys. And uh, yeah, um, everyone was just, they were super friendly, super warm and welcoming. I mean, um, 
the rules are a little different when it's a gold star kid who's you know not shot a pistol before. So uh, we had civilians, soldiers, veterans around him, like encouraging him, giving him feedback, and he's learning in real time. You can see him like he'll take a shot, someone says something, and he applied it immediately. So it was it was just great, man. Uh, I I can't. That was a great. That was my favorite run by far. Well, and I think, you know, early in the week, and I think they say this, I know they say this to ROs, I think they say it to everyone, but the, the rule with the Gold Star families is besides for your your gun safety, like keeping people safe, there, there are no rules for the Gold Star families. We just, uh, as Matt says, we move heaven and earth to do whatever they want, you know, to have a, enjoy themselves, to get their experience out of it. And, um, you know, that's that's definitely a special thing being a part of that. So, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's great that, that we, that's something, you know, they've given a lot in their lives, so we can, we can help do that for them. So, um, yeah, I think that's, remember, that's, uh, last year, uh, it was uh, a couple of the Dayton kids, I think they gave them paintball guns and let them run around in a, <laughs> uh, a quad shooting at, uh, participants. We didn't quite make the schedule this time as far as getting the, uh, Priscilla and Preston farmer. The paintball guns but we'll make sure we bring it back next year because having that kind of uh you know i guess uh kindergarten terrorist out there shooting you with paintballs definitely raises the stakes yeah i um i was one of the late ones on ro day and i did not know so george um was out there most of friday i think saturday and sunday i i didn't know he wasn't out on the course so i probably added five ten minutes on my runtime like sneaking around buying corners and like trying to not get shot by a paintball gun because i just assumed that he was still out there and gonna get me but no it turns out he had packed up an hour beforehand and i was just going slow just to <laughs> so yeah that that was definitely a fun uh a fun thing that happened last year um all right so now we're on to uh saturday night and this is the uh white light and again, I think Paul, you're the only one that has any experience with that with that white light match. So maybe maybe kind of hit whatever if there's anything different stage wise or course wise or whatnot. No, I mean and before before Paul jumps in, I just want to point something out. You may notice that he can explain every stage, and it's because he ran not just all four of the competitors ran. He also ran RO day, so he ran five times, which is pretty awesome. That that is beastly. I've done back to back 10k running guns, and that was that was enough. But um, five in a row out of uh, that that course is is a heck of a challenge. <laughs> yeah, they're going to sweep the uh, the Darwin Award for me because uh, <laughs> special kind of stupid that does that kind of thing. But it was a blast, man. I, I love it. Um, and you know, I I, uh, I got out in March and. Uh, you know, it's, it's a good life. Uh, it's a good change of pace, but still, it's funny how you snap back into a little bit of adrenaline and uh, just picks right back up. So running guns going to be a part of my life forever, man. It's, it's too much fun. Um, the, the white light stuff. So I talked a little bit about your white lights ability, especially you want your rifle to be able to dominate and um, just not only illuminate a targeted distance, but you have to get enough that it, allows you to discern the backdrop, allows you to discern the target against different types of uh, environment. So um, 
you're going to go active. You got to know how to manipulate your light on and off rapidly. And that's, that's more of a tactical thing, but still, uh, knowing your system, knowing your, knowing your, uh, your equipment is crucial. Um, getting it on in time is super important for obvious reasons, but getting that light off as soon as it's no longer applicable is also a key part of survivability, just on the military side of things. Uh, running through the woods at night, uh, I think I did red lens on a uh, headlamp for most of it, so I was trying to be a little bit uh, tactical, and uh, it wasn't too bad as far as moving through the woods, but I think it's just because uh, by that point, I could just follow John's giant Sasquatch footprints through there. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds like a good time. Me and Mike have actually, we've done a couple, like, two-gun night matches like uspsa type stages and even with that and not needing light discipline you know you could flip your light on and keep it on night stuff is a is way way different i mean white light at night can be um it's a challenge if you if you get the opportunity to do it i i recommend it i wish we could have could have had that opportunity there i mean it was worth it to ro and and help make it happen but um it definitely uh cuts into being able to shoot as many matches as you'd like. So, um, yeah, was, were the stage, were the stages the same? Uh, white light is the, uh, night vision. They were. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so you had to take on the same obstacles, but not being able to have the advantage of, uh, active aiming with a laser, unless you had, I guess, a high octane output, uh, uh, laser that, you know, you acquired through some means, but, um, uh, I think uh, white light's crucial because when bad stuff happens, you're usually not kitted up wearing your nods in your bed ready to go to town unless, you know, it's something you've integrated into your nighttime activities, but that's, that's not for me to judge. Uh, we're not here to kink shame uh, John with his uh, night vision stuff. No, man. Hey, role playing is a great way to keep the spice alive. <laughs> I love it. All right, so uh, so Saturday night rolls into Sunday. That's the uh, 10K, the the big big people's match. Um, so if you're not doing the night stuff, the 10K is definitely where it's at because you get a lot more course. And I, we said it on this show before. Whenever a running gun says 5K or 10K, that just means short or long. Like, it, it has nothing to do with the actual distance you're running or you're going to compete at. Um, I think the 10K this year was eight miles and around eight miles and uh, seven or eight miles. And we heard that the 5Ks were closer to four miles, four or five miles. So um, that's a running gun thing. They got to get us to stages and stages can only be in safe places. So we go whatever distance. I mean, I, to me, six miles is eight miles. Like, I don't – throw it up to ten. I don't – I'll walk it <laughs> to do some good shooting. So, um, yeah, to kind of hit on this one, we'll just – we'll all kind of share uh, maybe highlights or favorite stages. Uh, for me, man, it's hard to tell. The, the, the one you started in the pond, I didn't shoot that that well. But that was still a fun stage. I mean, you started, like I said, it was a it was a gross pond. I mean, this is not like your crystal clear, 
like farm pond or whatever. This is a, it's a cow pond. I mean, it was, it was muddy and filthy and you got inside this little tiny pipe. It was, it was small for me. It was even smaller if you were bigger and you started in there on the beep, rifle, pistol, all that. You had to get out. You had to dummy drag, uh, your, you know, your buddy out of the water, um, which was hard because you're covered in water and he's covered in water. And those, if you've ever messed with the rest rescue, Randy, they're, they're rubber. I mean, it's what, 150, 60 pounds of a dead weight. And then there's nothing to grab onto. I mean, luckily they have, I think I grabbed onto like the wrist or whatever, you know, the, the seam where they, they hinge, but you got to pull that out of the water and then you shoot some rifle or you shoot some pistol, you shoot some rifle. I mean, it was, a uh, it was a good stage, but uh, besides for that, the you started one stage. I think it was five. You started by shooting a Barrett. I've shot a Barrett a bunch of times. I don't know that I've ever shot a Barrett and not had a good time. I mean, this one, you had a single shot. Um, Matt's wife got a great picture of me down there shooting it because, and this is the thing I love about Barrett. You're on the ground prone. You didn't even have to hit anything. I mean, they had a target down there. But this picture she took, I mean, when you shoot, it looked like an action movie because, like, all of the grass, like, there's bits of grass flying behind me and through the air. And, I mean, it, it it's always fun. The the concussion that those things put off is, is pretty awesome. But you shot the, the Barrett. You got up, and uh, you had some close-range rifle. You had to put five shots in the A zone, some steel at, like, 100 yards, 125. It wasn't that you know, that far, that big. Um, and then you went, shot them from a different position and shot those again, grounded your rifle. And, uh, you had another dummy drag. Then you had to throw some sandbags in front of your, the, the dummy drag to, you're protecting your, your shooter, your, your, um, your, your friend there. So you'd put sandbags to protect him. And then you had, Five shots on an Ipsic, and I think it wasn't a full-size Ipsic. It was maybe half-size, so maybe like a C-zone or something like that. And you had to hit five shots at like 50 yards or something like that. Uh, it was a challenge. I I didn't, uh, surprisingly, I didn't drop a lot of shots. I kind of went prone on the my buddy there in the sandbags. But um, I, I thought that was a good stage. I'm going to do my my public service announcement that I do every year at after legion because i see this every year where shooters at that stage or similar stage like that they'll shoot the rifle close range they've got these fairly large targets that are maybe 100 yards and they kneel down they go prone they that's nothing wrong with that people but like practice your offhand shooting because a, a full-size ipsic at 100 yards should be like you know shoot that close stuff get a little bit steady and, and break the shot it, it's you're not a you don't have to be a, you know, a, a, the world's best marksman to get a, a hundred yard piece of steel. So, uh, yeah, go out and practice your <laughs> your offhand shot. I see it so many running guns. I see people kneel and go prone for stuff that really is like an easy shot. Should be an easy shot. And if that's what you got to do, that's better than throwing a bunch of misses. But it takes a lot of time. And I, I mean, if someone's shooting at you, maybe you're going to go prone. But if you got to move. You don't want to be getting up and down off the ground all the time. I mean, I'm not going to speak to the tactics of it, but um, if don't go on the ground if you're just going to get up and 
run 20 yards somewhere. So um, that I loved all the stages. Those were maybe the two the two highlights. Um, Paul, if you want to kind of share your thoughts on that that match. Yeah, that was a great stage. I mean, I've shot a lot of 50 cal, and I still love it every time. So it never gets old. <laughs> Put your big holes in things. It's always a good time. Uh, um, positional shooting is a challenge. Uh, I think John did it best. I think he just rolled over from the 50 and was able to engage everything prone with his rifle. And then I think you, you stayed standing for the second shooting box, right? Or did you? Yeah. So I, I did some positional shooting I probably didn't need to do. Um, I think, yeah, you especially at night, the night vision, going prone is not an advantage. Uh, the way your nods work, the way your positional shooting is, it you lose a lot of mobility when you go down that far. It makes a lot of sense for a long distance shot, but you know, you want to have some alternate positions. I like to see the position a lot. I think it's a good balance. Uh, easier on me than my uh, kneeling position these days. So been enough kneeling in the army. I think I'm, I'm good for life now. Um, and then as far as the rescue randies, yeah, those were those were bare. I don't know uh, why they were naked. Uh, typically, we don't have naked soldiers out in combat zones. We usually, you know, we try to dissuade them from doing that. They, they were Marines. Ah, uh, yeah, that makes more sense. Just <laughs> <laughs> some contest or something. Doing the bubbler. Um, no, man, uh, I think one thing that Matt does that's real good is I think he – he builds the stages and then he'll check with uh, a lot of people who will cross check to make sure everything makes tactical sense so that you're, you know, you're drawn through the stage in a way that is just focused on engaging threats. And when you do that, it's not confusing. You're not memorizing a bunch of dumb shit like some shooting Rubik's Cube. It's just addressing what's in front of you in the best way possible. Yeah. And and I don't want to, well, my thing earlier, positional shooting is important. I don't want to make it sound like you should shoot everything offhand, kneeling and, and seated and all that. But yeah, I, you shouldn't no, you're, shoot. You're, you're 100% right. And it's something that I picked up from competition shooting and, and then was teaching you guys back at fifth group. Is, you know, you don't, don't compromise your mobility uh, uh, just because you've been taught one way that you zero from the prone or you, you do your qualification from the prone, your your ability to move, your ability to address threats in a 360 degree uh, cone of awareness is is crucial. And you give up a lot of that when you're laying down in the dirt. Plus, you want to look cool, too. That's the most important thing. <laughs> yeah, that that is true. Uh, John, how about uh, what, what are you thinking on that? Because you ran that match as well. Yeah, for that match, um, I tried to focus on, to speak to the topic that Paul's talking about, I tried to focus on the most efficient movements that I could moving from stage to stage, just trying to be uh, expeditious in my speed and also my accuracy. Um, and towards the end, if we talk about how we work up for these events, I can talk a little bit about that, maybe help people a little bit. I, I did get asked by some people at event um, about some of the things that I do, but uh, that's for later, I guess. Uh, without a doubt, my favorite stage was stage one. Uh, stage one simulated that you were in a vehicle and then you had to enter a building. So there was a three-level platform. Uh, you begin by taking your rifle and setting it up against the stairs, uh, which was done for safety. That way people aren't trying to come through the vehicle with a rifle. But you start out on the passenger side of an SUV, 
and the passenger side front window is rolled up. Don't shoot through it. The back window on the passenger side is rolled down. And I believe this was a, uh, a Jeep of some type. Could have been a floor explorer. I'm not 100%. But the back seat was laid flat. So it was almost like going into a truck bed. On the buzzer, you dive over the back seat. If you're a large man, that looks more like tumbling slowly and awkwardly until you're in the rear of the vehicle. And then shooting through the rear window at the passenger side, there's five varying size and distance steel targets that you hit once each. Now, at this point, you're blessed with both hands. Because when you come into the building, you've got a hand or a other hand. So at the first level, you're shooting left hand only at the five targets, one hit each. Then keeping your pistol in a safe direction during all of this, downrange 180 degrees, right? So you're not going to break the 180 pointing back at anybody. Now you run up to the second level of this, of this, uh, it's basically a shooting platform, but we're pretending it's a building where you engage right-handed only. So somehow during this course, you've damaged both arms alternating, which is a really good exercise for shooting. A lot of people don't shoot one-handed at all or support hand. And so it kind of separates real quickly uh, people who know how to shoot well doing those things. So the second platform, one to each, and then holster safely. Now, different people ran the stage in different ways. Some people grabbed the rifle as soon as they came onto the platform and carried with them from position one to position two. Knowing position three is rifle, I chose to go as quick as I could with my pistol, holster safely, go back down from the level two to level one, grab the rifle, move back up to level three, where there's two skinny targets of about 100 yards, and then two, I believe, two-thirds IPSC and full-size IPSC at around 175 and 250. Now, the cool thing about those targets is they have some flashers with like a kaleidoscope piece of plastic that protects this indicator from being hit. But when the, the steel gets hit and vibrates, it sets off this flasher and blinks red. So one hit each of those four, and then your uh, stage is complete. Um, the thing that I liked most about that was it engages so many different skills uh, that people didn't know, have never experienced, or they had, and it keeps them sharp. But most importantly, think in a dynamic situation if you're in a real life situation uh, like the gentleman who performed this earning himself some pretty good recognition because it was uh, sorry <clears throat> that was a tough fight that he had to go through um and so it forces people into a position to be able to uh, demonstrate skills uh, they may not necessarily demonstrate you go to the square range put a couple holes in paper, drink a water, eat a Subway sandwich, head home, what a great day. Um, and you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if you're going to be injured or the use of both or one of your arms. So I really liked it from that perspective. And then the other stage that I really enjoyed, um, so the way that it worked actually for the 5K is stage two, three, four, five were stages four, five, six, seven of the 10K. So one, two, and three were unique. Um, the other stage that I really liked, even though it was frustrating, <laughs> was stage two, where you engage through um, steel targets up close and then move through a creek and engage small targets at varying distances, which they can't keep getting away with it, which is a meme that speaks to uh, the Throom targets that get uh, heavily used at some of these events. <laughs> um, but I liked that stage because it forced you one once again, to demonstrate additional skills you wouldn't normally find yourself performing in a basic course or, you know, a basic range day. 
then from there, most of the stages were kind of the same. Um, I really enjoyed the 10K. I ended up running it in an operator. And uh, I really liked the additional items that they added during the day. Uh, additional hits on targets, the addition of radio on some of the stages where you had to radio in, ask for air support, um, or radio back. Uh, different types of intel. So uh, just like the 5K night vision, the 10K also had the carrier radio. If you have the right frequency and you're listening, you get told on the second to last stage. So now you got to do some math and still be observant and kind of cohesive and conscious of what you're doing, which I didn't do. <laughs> so stage six, when you have the red target that you're clearly told over the radio to engage, my stage plan obviously included it. Yeah, not in practice. I got to the end and I was like, I'm good, right? They're like, yeah, you, you finished the stage. I'm like, well, that sounds a little nonspecific. I get the bonus and they're like, there's three of us, man. You didn't shoot it. <sighs> okay. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. I'm on the way. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> so that's another lesson is uh, nothing goes to plan. Be ready to improvise. Man, man I was an echo. No one listens to radios. <laughs> No one cares about radios. Even Necos don't care about radios. We just want to shoot guns. <laughs> uh, the funny thing about that stage, and I heard it happen from a few people, like they had planned to shoot the target and they didn't, but in their mind they did it because their stage plan is so realistic. And it's something that I hadn't gotten good at yet. I'm getting better. But you, you almost have to pre-rehearse what you're about to do in a way that is almost, it's almost like you've done it. So working on that skill set. Yeah, the visualization is is definitely a good thing. I know when they were reading the stage brief, I'm like looking out there and I'm like, is there like was there a bone in there? And then I was like, oh, you know, because I saw it and I remembered it. And they're like, yeah, we couldn't tell you if you even if you ask. But I managed to get it, which helped me because I didn't shoot that all. I shot it clean. My pistol was a little slow. I, I shot it a little slow. So ended up being an OK time with the 30 seconds, but it wasn't a wasn't as well as I would have liked to have done. So, Mike, uh, why don't you share a little bit? So, I did the 10K on RO day, and uh, there were some interesting challenges that came with that. But I'm just going to speak to the difficulty of the, the stages and the, the match to start. Uh, I grew up uh, in a law enforcement family, so I was taught how to shoot a handgun. But honestly, I'd learned how to shoot a handgun like a lot of people in my generation, Magpul Dynamics. And uh, Travis Haley always talks about the thinkers before shooters. And I think Legion's a really good match to kind of expound on that because you can show up to Legion and be a really good shooter. And you can shoot pretty well, place pretty well, and have a lot of fun. But if you work on those cognitive abilities and being able to take that information on from the run – from the stage brief and even take the information that's being provided during the stage and course of fire and input that into the actions that you're taking, you can really have some successful outcomes. Um, you'll look at the guys that are getting the stage wins and you're going to see guys that are capable of doing that high level three gunners like Brian Ray guys like John Stoner. That's really fast thinking on his feet and, uh, and taking those inputs even mid stage and, and making those micro corrections to come out with a stage win or top five finish. Um, and so like for me, 
normally the first stage is is a shakier one for me. It's just getting through it without doing anything that really sinks me. And, you know, I got through it, and as I was running away, I was giving myself that cognitive feedback of, like, hey, you were probably – you made some decisions to do things for safety reasons. It probably cost you a really good time, but you completed, and it turned out that that stage didn't hurt me like I thought it would. But then going in and going into the stage two, down in this, uh, this you know, cattle watering hole or wallow, as you might want to call it, um, you know, I, I really looked and asked the questions and came up with that stage plan of how am I going to grab and move this guy? I can see that the other ROs in front of me have been sliding all over the bank. So what's the most stable position to grab him? How am I going to wad myself up and put myself in this tube and, uh, and you know, try to keep my RMR out of the water? Because I normally run an acro, and I forgot my match gun at home. And actually, like, the Glock that I had was a Glock 19 zeroed for 147-grain duty ammo instead of 125-grain reloads. So that threw a wrench in the gun the run later, but... You know, thinking, how am I going to step out of here and grab this dummy in such a way that I can move it or rescue Randy quickly and uh, make those adjustments on the fly? And, you know, it wasn't a stage win, but I had a com- you know competitive time that didn't hurt. And then as I'm moving through and, and hitting the uh, land nav portion, Ryan, you know, gets a kick out of this because um, I might have a little bit more land nav background than him. But I had my rifle across my chest compass in my hand and running my watch you know watch for pace count compass over here about halfway through the land nav section i figured out something was driving my compass and shifting it off and the heading was off enough that it was going to be a problem and so i kind of adjusted on the fly and hit the path and had to make a decision of i'm at the path and i'm at the right distance but i don't see the objective that's supposed to be at the end of the land nav there could be a penalty for not finding something because Legion is legendary for its intel. You know, I can't sit here and stew forever. Do I run maybe 100, 200, 300 yards to try to find this balloon, or do I just suck it up and move on? And I decide to suck up and move on. Um, looking at uh, other competitors' GPS tracks, I probably missed that balloon by 100 yards. But, you know, hey, you can't panic. You know, shit goes sideways. You just got to keep plugging on. And uh, just, you know, weigh, weigh what's going to happen and, and roll. I really enjoyed stage three, jumping down in the water. Um, while I, I don't personally enjoy shooting the throoms with a rifle at almost point-blank ranges a whole lot, it's a really good for, reminder for you need to know your equipment, you need to know what your height over bore is. And uh, I was able to, to walk through that stage and do a pretty decent time that, that didn't hurt me either. Uh, stage four, which was the, the mortar stage that they were talking about that was also in the night match, that was another one where uh, some cognitive stuff came into play because the way you drew, if you drew laying down, you would draw your gun with a muzzle pointing back towards whoever's behind you. And Legion's a little bit more big boy rules with muzzle, but I, I talked the stage brief through with the ROs multiple times to establish, hey, I can stand up. I'm still shooting from behind the wood pile, but now I'm drawing from a standing position, and I don't have to worry about muzzling the ROs behind me that, you know, are, you know, just got married or have kids. You know, I know those guys. They're my buddies. 
And uh, so I'm going to make those decisions. That it, you know, it might cost me a little on the, the time, but, you know, in the long run, it's a better safety option. Um, that stage was partway through the stage. I ran something up through the sole of my boot that actually punctured the bottom of my foot. So that was kind of a fun thing. I'm moving between rifle positions, and then you're like, that shouldn't hurt like that. And, uh, but, uh, you know, you're running with a, a pretty cool pack of tough customers out there. So, you, you know, bitch, you just keep running. And, uh, the Barrett stage was a fun one for me because that was a great example of, uh, thinking on the fly and making that quick stage plan and walking through it in your head really pays off that stage. Uh, I ended up putting my rifle and I pulled the magazine loaded out of my kit and set it down next to the rifle. And my rifle was probably only eight inches from the Barrett. So as soon as they hit that timer, I flipped the safety off, slapped that Barrett trigger, because as he said, there's no target had to hit. And then I went to a kneeling position and uh, engaged the the targets from kneeling. So I had a little bit more stability than offhand. Um, I was already halfway up to launch into the movement to the next position. And then that next position, since we need to drop the rifle on the ground and there was no designated dump, I went to a knee again. It's not that full commit to prone. I'm still going to be able to move quickly, but now I don't have to, you know, bend over and drop my rifle. I just set it right there in front of me and move on. And then I looked behind me when I was dragging the dummy and I knew exactly where that sandbag pile was. And I parked that rescue Randy almost on the sandbag pile. So I only had to move the sandbags, the width of his chest. And then I engaged that target for him standing. And even with the concealed carry pistol that, that distance had about a, a 12 inch zero difference. I was still able to pull out a stage win just by doing the recon by fire. And that was, that stage just worked out well because I was able to mentally plan and make adjustments as I went through to squeeze out that stage win. Um, and then I'll tell you a, a failure. The next stage, uh, stage six was the red target. And, uh, they were talking about, well, you need a radio Intel. And the, the brief that day on RO day was coming off of a little rough. And, uh, even though I wrote down the red target bonus info on my arm board and the whole nine yards in clarifying that stage brief, I lost that in my stage plan. And that was a huge cognitive error on my part because raw time pre bonus, I had the stage win for that stage, but a 32nd bonus put me back to upper mid pack. Um, so those little things, it's, it's those details that, you know, you can recover from if you, you shoot pretty well on other stages, but if you let those little cognitive details slip, you'll finish the match, but you're not going to have much of a podium chance. If you let that happen all day on that course, then stage six was the long range. Uh, that was a really tough one, and it really paid to have some good observation skills because it was unknown distance, but it was on a known distance range out to a thousand yards with berms and target arrays spaced roughly every hundred yards. And then, literally, on the long range target, about 30 feet down the rail from the target, there was a, probably a, a, a foot and a half by six foot long sign that told you what the yardage was. And so it really paid to don't get too sucked into your reticle. Don't get too sucked into the target engagement. Pay attention to what you're doing. And uh, so I 
I, I came up on that hill with a bipod already deployed. I had a rear bag hanging on a, a magazine uh, on the front of my chest rig so I could deploy a rear bag if I needed to. And then the magazine was already in my hand. So as soon as I'm starting to slide into the hide, I'm putting the magazine in the mag well and I'm ready to roll. I saw a lot of people DNF in that stage because they're up there playing around with trying to get a magazine in. And once they're inserted prone, um, they did not do ammo management in their magazines on the course. So they were shooting five rounds out of one magazine, locking back empty, 10 rounds of another, locking back empty, eight rounds out of this one and locking back empty. And stage six had a devast or sorry, stage seven on the 10K had a devastating DNF rate. I watched uh, some people that are, you know, a high level, you know, three gunners. They were three gun nation uh, competitors on the TV series back in the day. They even struggled with that. Uh, so, you know, just because you're a good shooter, if you weren't cognitively super engaged in the moment, you might not uh, come out even finishing that stage. So just a fantastic match that you could go at a lot of different skill levels and have a lot of fun. But the guys that were coming out there and really competing for those podiums, they had to work. They had to work on their run to make sure that they were doing what they needed to. They had to work on their uh, rapid stage briefs and stage plans. And then they had to think hard while they're executing them and correct while they were doing it. So fantastic match. Sorry for rambling on. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I will tell you, even if you know the distance, I didn't quite know the distance, but I, it turns to find out if you're, uh, if your precision or your rounds you're shooting are only going 950 feet per second at 600 yards, you don't do very well either. So, um, I'm, I'm in the hunt for some spicier reloads here before, <laughs> before next year, because, uh, I've got I've I've doped my rifle out to 525, made hits where I was supposed to, and, and I'm only going like 11, like 1050, 1100. So I found out at 600 I'm going subsonic, which doesn't help. I'm gonna mention I'm gonna mention a couple things for the people that are listening to kind of so to to fill people in. Mike Ford in this match won um, tier one. So when he says things and talks about things probably worth listening to if it's you know if we're talking a gaming thing uh john stoner won the operator class so we have another we have two of the top 10k runners here so um i'd say if they say something it's probably worth taking note of it um one thing that caught me so mike's talking about all this and this is guy that knows that he can be one of the top shooters out there and the first thing he mentioned a lot of those stages was safety um I see some people. I don't see it quite as much in run and gun as three gun, but I still do see it in in run and gun that want to be fast and they start really speeding things up and that safety starts going out the window. If you can't do it fast and safe, you you can't do it. So um, the, these matches, especially run and gun, the the um, what we're doing is not as quite as prescribed and it's not in a square range. So we really can't afford for NDs and um, having, you know, you know, people pointing guns at other people and that kind of thing. So, uh, safety should always be number one. So that, that was the first thing. The other thing he said, when he's coming up there, he's listening to these stage briefs. He's getting a plan in his head. He's figuring out what he needs to do to be efficient on the stage. And for competitors who people haven't done this long, 
I'm going to give you a tip. The what, reason he's able to do that is because his health and fitness is at a point that his heart rate's dropping fairly quickly. He's able to cover some distances without like redlining his heartbeat. If you come up to a stage and your fitness is not there and you hit it at 180 or 90 beats per minute, you are not going to be able to think through what you need to do. Um, me and Mike actually talked, you know, some strategy beforehand and I, I did it and I'm, I'm fairly certain he did it. When we were coming up to stages, we were walking a little further ahead than what we normally would because a Legion, at Legion, the shooting is so tough and it's so important. It's 50% of your score. The shooting's so important that let's say that I walk for a full minute leading up to the stage. I've added seven minutes onto my runtime, which in the grand scheme of things, unless you're like the number one or two runners, you know, most of the time, seven minutes is not the win it or lose it for a match. But if I can put seven minutes on my runtime, but shoot in the 90% on every stage, that's a good chance of really ending high. But if I run like hell and I'm hitting every one of these stages at 80, 180, 190 heart rates pegged and I shoot like garbage and now I'm in the 40% of the shooters, uh, even if you got the fastest runtime, you're, you're not going to win. You're not going to win the match. I mean, that's, that's just the thing. So um, besides for the strategy aspect, you, you need to have fitness to do well in this match. Gone are the days where early on in the sport, and at least on the East coast, you could be an amazing shooter with okay fitness, you know, put in a, a, a mediocre runtime and, and place well or win. And, and you, you can't, you can't do that anymore. You got to have the fitness part, and the shooting part, and um, it's really fun to buy gear and talk about the shooting part. But um, I don't. I'll say this is this is for me. I I focused more in the last year, and I may talk about this on the closing thing. I focused more on the fitness part because it it's free for the most part. Everyone can do something to improve their fitness without spending any money. And outside of this, if if I never have to touch a gun in a serious manner. Um, not dying at 45, 50 with a heart attack, or, you know, I've got kids being able to play sports with my kids, do whatever, like longevity wise, being healthy is better than being a badass shooter. So I think someone's mic on someone wanted to add something. Yeah. I was just going to mention, you're talking about free, free things that really help. Visualization is a fantastic tool. I'm using it on, uh, the run and gun stage briefs and I got the tool and used it the most in three gun where you actually get a walk through. Well, you don't get that in a running gun, but if you can, as the RO is briefing, you turn that into a visual walkthrough for yourself. That's huge. And then, uh, being able to essentially do a, a, a quick adjustment of how did I handle something on the fly when I'm running from stage to stage, I can review uh, visually in my head what did I do. I, I know Stoner and I talked about this the other night that that he and I, uh, just as very visual people, can can call up and pretty much reshoot a stage from Legion in our head. And like stage one, I can tell you almost the exact round count and what happened. Um, and I can do that with a lot of the stages. I can tell you the target presentation. Um, so 
take those the visual skills. You can give yourself good after action. You can go back. You can reshoot stages in your head. Um, I was just listening to a podcast where they were uh, interviewing uh, a British. I think he was a uh, either a Royal Marine or or an SAS guy, and he was talking that over there. You know, he can't even walk down the street with a pocket knife. So the only way that he could tune himself up was he put his kid on and he visualized an air gun. So he essentially dry fired without even having a gun. And then he came over to the U.S. He's getting a citizenship right now. And he's teaching for, uh, for I sound like a fanboy, he's teaching for Haley right now. And, uh, and is, I guess, crushing it at some of the competitive shooting that he's gotten into. And that's a guy that he did a huge amount of his workups and training with visualization, not even dry fire with a gun, you know. So t- that's free, folks. You can get in there. I, I have so many people ask about positional rifle because I generally do okay for long-range rifle and mid- mid-range rifle. Um, and I tell people, grab your rifle and do visualization and rest off just random stuff in your house, your, your, your dining room, chairs and table, your couches. You know, obviously you're dry firing, clear rifle, um, make sure your kids are in bed and all that fun jazz. But, you know, don't just aim at a light switch. Visualize you're engaging a target, uh, you know, a 12-inch plate at 200 yards. In this position, how much wobble do you have? And you're fresh. You're just, you know, going around your house. Do all that good free visual aid, and it pays. It pays fantastically. Yep. And actually, uh, I, I forget. It's been a couple of years. They did a study with some people with weightlifting where they had people in a, like a weightlifting program and then they had people visualizing the same weightlifting thing. And the people who visualized had the same or better outcome than the people who were doing like just strictly. So they were, the per- people were still lifting, but they were lifting and visualizing the lift that they were doing. So um, your, your mind is an absolutely powerful thing at the risk of sounding like some after school special. It's, you can, you can well, get a lot of study. They did a study, I believe it was uh, with like high schoolers, and it was just shooting free throws. And they took this group and said, all right, you know, you're going to for three weeks, six weeks, whatever the study was, you're going to visualize shooting uh, these free throws. And then the other ones actually got to go in the gym. And it was incredible how well the the students that just went and did the visualization. And, you know, I I don't want to sound like a hippie or, you know, but seriously, you know, take advantage of some of these things, do some studies, uh, do your own testing on the subject. You know, I think a lot of us, uh, we play with training techniques. We'll try something for a year and see what it does for us. And then we'll go revisit, uh, maybe something that worked in the past and we'll modify stuff. Um, you should never grow stagnant and stale with what you're trying, what your training is. Yeah, and um, actually, uh, John, if you can come on another time, I would like to do like maybe an episode on on training. Um, I know you talked, let put some in the running gun discussion group on your fitness training up and as well as your shooting. Um, I've been I've been digging into a lot of that lately. I'm kind of uh, heartbreak. I, I'm assuming it's happening again next year. That's my next big match, and I'm planning on doing the. Uh, heart heartbreak plus so rucking weight so I'm, I'm doing a fitness plan and been digging into a lot of that which is something i've been doing the last year um let's 
let's kind of jump into this the closing here. I, I was wanting to do kind of lessons learned, anything like that, maybe closing thoughts. Um, for me in this match, I shot okay. I haven't been practicing shooting. I don't really have the time right now. So, you know, it's I shot as well as I could considering I don't practice. I, I was happy with that. Um, what really was I was pleased with was my fitness in this. I've been running a lot. I've been lifting a lot more. Um, just trying to generally get in better health. I'm, I'm not I'm not like a bro. I'm not trying to get huge muscles or like be a power lifter, but I, I want to be able to go to these matches. <laughs> I want to be able to go to these matches. And so for those that don't know, like I'm an average guy, 5'10", 165, 70 pounds. So I'm not huge, but I'm not, not small. But like you get to these and a, a dummy drags 170 pounds. You know, a lot of these dummies are 170 pounds. That's how much I weigh. So I want to be able to grab one of those guys, move them around and not not sweat it. So um, my fitness, I felt really good at, with. I'm still making progress. You know, I, I'm lifting three days a week. I'm running. I'm doing all that. So I was happy with my level of fitness that I was at. Um, that's still something I've been digging into. I'm really trying to learn on that because I've only been lifting for not even a year now. And I'm still, you know, new. It, I mean, running through four years, but there's always things to learn. So that, that part I've been digging into, um, I would like to do an episode, maybe a little bit more on that. I think we've touched on it on the past, but um, I've got new things I've learned. And I know John knows a ton and Mike knows a ton. So we'll, we'll get some people on here um, and, and talk about talk about that kind of thing. So as far as my match, I made my goals. I was hoping for top 20 my division. Um, I did light fighter, which is not my best division i should probably do operator next time but um i, I was happy that i i think i was 15th in light fighter so i i i, I couldn't be without practicing shooting i don't, I don't think i could have done much better so I, I was pretty pleased with that um paul what about you do you have any uh closing thoughts you got on what you're happy with or not or what you learned no i think um your ability to adapt on the fly is crucial you talked a little bit about kind of prepping right before you get to the stage. I think right after the stage is that perfect time to reset as well. What we train, it's what uh, I teach civilians. If I'm teaching them how to have a defensive mindset, it's not just about taking the gun out and doing God's work. It's about resetting, making sure all the medical stuff's in place. You've reset your mags. You've topped off everything. You've let everybody know who needs to know what's going on. And you've got yourself the people you love to a safe place so same things apply when you're in a match so you just take a stage down reset yourself and be ready to go again uh, you know it's a learning experience if you're adapting on the fly like you said um i think visualization visualizations are a really cool tool i think it's difficult to express to people without sounding like tony robbins but uh yeah it is it is very powerful to you know to i guess exercise your most important Tool you've got at your disposal even though i'm just rubbing a couple brain cells together trying to start a fire still got to put in the work with them every now and then uh another big thing is um the match was really successful for supporting the gold star was really successful supporting the sfa and beyond the numbers it uh it brings the community together uh it it gets people involved and then people feel like they're a part of something um and so just can't say enough good things about that. Um, 
So I think Jay, uh, actually Jason's in the room. If you don't mind, Jay, would you mind telling him uh, like a little bit about how successful the match was? Yeah, stuff? absolutely. So yeah, what's, what's up, guys? I didn't want to like, I didn't want to jump in anywhere. I wanted you guys to do your full thing. I love your guys' review last year. You know, tried to share it. I've just been sitting listening to everybody's stuff for this this whole thing. I didn't want to like really jump in, but I did want to like just cap final notes. Um, so Matt came up last week, um, myself and Paul were able to take him and Lisa and we went to the chapter 38 dinner, like for reunion week up here. Um, we, uh, were, you know, asked if we wanted to say a few words about the match and everything, got Matt up to talk to all the, all the old retired group guys that come back. So like former group Sergeant majors, commanders, all the old S uh, chapter 38 guys are all retired SF guys. And Matt got to go up and, and tell them all what doing this match every year means to him. And it was awesome. As many people came up and talked to us, you know, meet myself and Matt this year about how everything went, how deep it went this year with like the dog tags and um, getting to work with, uh, you know, the farmers and stuff. Um, that many people came up and talked to Matt afterwards to tell him the same stuff that how impressed they were with and it was awesome so but just uh final recap numbers so we know like we hit um twenty thousand dollars for the net donation last year and my goal for this uh match was how to squeeze out um and donate thirty thousand to the sf uh or chapter 38 in ellis coming on running the night matches and the small increase we were able to actually finalize with uh, it was $29,446 before selling my last $600 with the t-shirts, which I just found out had been sold. So we did our donation for $30,000 and we actually hit that. So I wanted to just bring up that um, to let everybody know who's watching this, like what the numbers were. There's going to be some e uh, videos and you know emails and stuff going out this week. But one of the other ones is for the Gold Star Range Day, which a lot of, a lot of the normal competitors and the ROs and some of the ROs get to see it. But um, during the range, uh, during the run, um, when the Gold Star families are going around um, like Saturday and Sunday during the day, like we get to take the kids around and we do like a range day. This year we had uh, three different, um, you know, retired SF companies, guys who are, you know, doing other things. Um, Carl from Tactical Rifleman. Shane from uh, Personal Survival Solutions, and myself and Paul from uh, from Tenant Group, we were able to go down there and provide them like a full day of training prior to those guys, Tabitha and uh, Devin going out and running. We've been doing that every year, um, but a lot of people don't get to see that as well. So that was super cool. And then Carl on Tactical Rifleman tomorrow is releasing his video that he did of that pretty much most of his footage is going to be from the Gold Star Range Day. He had a whole plan to go out, shoot all the stages, do a review as well. But when he saw um, the opportunity to get in and train with the Gold Star family members, he, there was no question. He's like, "This is we're just going to hang out here for the day and do whatever they want to do. And it's awesome. So, um, man, I, this year was awesome. Thank you guys so much for doing like the after action, you know, AR on it. Like I said, loved it last year. I really wanted Paul to do all the part, talking on this as well because he, he ran so many, you know, he could talk eloquently about all the stages which is awesome but also i want to take this opportunity to shit talk jay <laughs> yeah absolutely the awful things he did to us in the woods i i was sitting here snickering during the whole thing here listening to you guys talk about last year uh but know that a lot of the evil decisions that were made about the course of this year 
half of those were absolutely matched in it. So all of them. Uh, I mean, I mean, all of them. Yeah. And Brian Ray, the fire stuff. Yeah. Uh, that's always been Brian Ray's uh, dream. So <laughs> might be fire next year. Snake pits as well. I'm I'm fi- I'm fine with snake. So bring it. <laughs> all right. All right. Thank thank you and and thanks for running the match. I mean, man, I I feel like I coordinate uh, Matt. Matt definitely having him doing all the organization and, uh, you know, being as I heard somebody refer to, or Mike, I think at the beginning of it, you referred to him being the most, most organized match director ever. He, he really is. It couldn't happen without him. Um, but it also couldn't happen without the awesome, you know, the active duty dudes and the former, uh, fifth group guys who coordinate and, you know, help get, you know, bring all this stuff down there, drive like two and a half hours away, stay down there for the whole weekend. Um, you know, set up beforehand, um, plan these all out, and uh, all the backside support, getting all those machine gun simulators, IED simulators, all the rescue randies that have to be picked up, moved three or four times, and hauled down there, and then cleaned to immaculate condition after being being pulled apart and thrown in swamps afterwards. And that was really this year with me being retired and out, I had to rely on other people to help with that, and they, everybody stepped up. It was awesome. Yeah, the term is former action guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. For, sorry, us former action guys. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I know you lubricated the Randys before you put them out on the stage, so. Always. Well, I mean, they kind of lubricate. They're self-lubricating, really. That's handy. You saw the video afterwards. <laughs> That's great. Um, I guess moving on, John, do you got any after, uh, any thoughts or any uh, closing remarks you want to make? Yeah, I'd like to touch on the visualization a little bit. Um, but before I do... Man, Jay, thank you. That was a lot of fun. I thought you should know you're super handsome. <laughs> All right. Um, so visualization, for anybody who wants to build on that, one of the best things you can do when you're practicing is to take video, either first person or third person, tripod, set it on a truck, put it on your helmet, put it on your head, have somebody hold it, whatever, and get a video of what you're doing while you're shooting, training, while you're at a match, whatever. And think back, what did you do? And then watch the video and figure out where you're lacking in your memory. And as you do this, you'll build it up. It's a muscle. You can strengthen it. If you're not good at it, not everybody's natural at it. Some people are. I got good at it because I practiced. And it wasn't until I started filming my practices and my matches that I really started excelling to a next level. And uh, I have a lot of that to thank for being able to perform at the level I did. Um, I was very happy to have finished uh first in operator um and first in the night there's in 5k uh put a lot of work in towards it without going into a long explanation of all that um i do train specifically for it i do three different things i'll do uh running usually with weight i'll do night vision uh rucking and then i'll do range time and i usually combine them the rings that i go to fortunately i can put on a bunch of gear and run around and not have the cops called on me um, usually there's other members of the range that I go to that are kind of cheering me on. And there's even times when I've set up stages that kind of get in the way of existing matches and they'll let me run through and shoot to be able to complete what I do. I'll run anywhere from four to eight miles and anywhere from 25 to 45 pounds of gear and engage a shooting course that I've set up. And I'll just basically do a circuit run anywhere from a quarter mile to three quarter mile and then engage a stage as fast as I can safely. Uh, mimic like I'm going to Legion or somewhere else to unload, show clear on arrival, uh, start 
the stage, finish the stage, unload, show clear, get back into condition, top off the pistol, and off I go. Um, and doing that doesn't just prepare me for these matches. It prepares me for whatever I might run into in life. Uh, I'm married. I have five kids. I never want to be in the position where I need to do things to take care of business. But if I am, I feel like I'm better prepared as a result. And uh, I'm definitely not one of those guys that can go to the, the gym five days a week endlessly without some sort of goal. I'm goal-oriented. I need something to work towards. And so doing these kind of matches helps me with the discipline to be able to maintain that with regularity and be able to perform at the levels I do um, because it's the real life stuff that I, I do this for. And uh, being able to see people I enjoy being around, unfortunately, it's spread all over the U.S. So it's nice to come back for the, uh, the Run and Gun Legion reunion each year. Um, sad that it took me so long to come out, but I'm happy I found it and I've been out a couple of years now. So other than that... Um, we can talk about prep, workout, and other items another time. That's what I got for this one. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, we'll, we'll make that happen because I, I think that's, that's a lot. And um, I know we get on the message boards and groups and stuff, and people are like, oh, you trained for this? Yeah, like <laughs> like you said, I, I'm, I'm goal-oriented. Like, I, I want to be healthy in life, but a match is a good excuse to, like, take, you know, plan something to, to hit a date, and, and, and then you're just healthier afterwards, you know? You feel better shoot better life's good mike uh what do you got well, i just want to thank uh jay and and all the people that made it happen it's a privilege to be able to come down in ro uh, i've done it for a couple years uh i'm incredibly lucky that my wife's on board with me doing it even though it almost made me miss the birth of my second child um it's a family reunion it's an experience that everyone needs to uh to enjoy it, it, it like for me it just it was a whole new level getting a, a dog tag signed out and issued to me and feeling that tag you know i tucked it in my shirt out of the way but i felt it there you know it was a piece of my kit that i don't normally have and it was a constant reminder um of you're out there for something greater than just your mattress finish you're out there for something greater than, you know, just a good time. And, and I just, I love that. That was special. Uh, it's, it's a family reunion and to the active fifth group guys are involved and the retired guys. I just want to say thank you so much for opening uh, your family and letting us get a glimpse of, of what it's like to be part of it. It means the world. Um, words can't convey that. So uh, I look forward to, uh, to doing it next year and uh dates already marked on the calendar so that yep. is kind of my final thoughts absolutely so yeah we, we thank matt um jay all, all the special forces guys let me and we're, we're bad about not always doing this i think i got a list of all the sponsors here so let me give a quick jay you got something to say before going that oh um yeah i want yeah, i want to do this you're good you're good you're good Okay. Yeah, I want to I want to thank all the sponsors because um this match the prize table is always really good. I don't think anyone here is shooting these matches for prize tables, but they're there, they're awesome and these um companies are you know helping the matches out. So um I know obviously Dead Zero, they let Matt and everyone just take full reign and, and that range and and do all kinds of stuff. I'm sure it cost them energy and business and money, so you know, I appreciate that. Um, 
Allen's arsenal, I know, is always like they've been as far as I know, they've always been there with it. Uh, Spike's tactical is another one. Um, going through the matchbook here real quick. Samson Manufacturing, th- those guys always sponsor a lot. Um, uh, what is this? Personal Survival Solutions. We have Aero Precision. We have Coda Evolution. That's the, one of my sponsors. Those They sponsor. I, I, it'd be hard. You'd be hard-pressed to shoot a match that those guys don't sponsor. So, um Ryan Zamberlin there really helps take care of the, the shooting community. Tomahawk Strategic Solutions. We got Timney Triggers. We have Night Force. I saw a bunch of Night Force stuff out there. Um, all these, these are good companies, so there's really no reason not to buy from them, but since they sponsor, definitely. <laughs> uh, Tenet Group, Hanneman Creative Studios, Leatherwood Distillery, Black Hat Weapon System, JP. CJ Solar, uh, the Star Spangled Brewing Company. They always have beer out there. I'm not a beer guy, but I know uh, people there love it. 1776 and Company, VK Sys or VK Integrated Systems, uh, KGM, which is I think there's a suppressor company. They had some suppressor stuff on the table. Hoist, oh that's a they gave everybody a uh, like a sports drink that was really really tasty and really good. And then uh, TS, I don't know the rest of their logo. Um, what, but yeah, those are all the uh, companies that are on the that sponsored it. So go out and buy from them, and uh, they've all got good stuff. All right, if we don't have anything else, um, I'll close it out here. So thanks for uh, Paul and uh, John and Jay for dropping in there at the end. We appreciate you guys coming on. So have a good one.